Do you have an idea for a podcast, but you don't know where to start? Maybe you're overwhelmed by all the tech or you're convinced nobody will actually listen to you. Well, I'm Shauna Game. After nine and a half years as a professional podcaster, at this show, everyone's talking money. And 25 million downloads later, let me tell you the secret to a profitable podcast. It is building a solid foundation, your podcast roadmap before you launch. That's why I created the Podcaster Class, a fast-paced group cohort podcasting for profit eight-week style NBA program. The Podcaster Class is immersive, comprehensive, and insanely motivational. If you want to create a podcast, DIYing a launch is just not the way to go. In the Podcaster Class, you'll get the tools, tips, and strategies to create a podcast that resonates with listeners and one you can be proud of. Get this. 90% of podcasters never make it to episode three. That's 2.8 million podcasters who just quit. So to be a top podcaster, you only need to publish 21 episodes, but you got to make them good. So in the podcaster class, I'm taking the mystery out of how to create, launch, and profit from your podcast so you can create a top 1% podcast just like this one. The May cohort is now open for enrollment. Classes start May 22nd. There are only 15 spots open. You are going to learn podcasting with me and 14 other amazing people. You can learn all the details at thepodcasterclass.com. Use code podcast when you sign up for $100 off. That's thepodcasterclass.com. I'm going to be real with you. Identity theft is on the rise, and you do not want to wake up one morning and discover that your bank account has been emptied or you're overdue on credit cards you never even applied for. We talk about this often on the podcast, but you don't realize how much of your information is available to scammers on the internet and how susceptible you and your family are to identity theft and fraud. I know, it's scary, but now you can get your data removed with Delete Me. That's why I personally choose Delete Me. Delete Me is a subscription service that removes your personal information from the largest people search databases on the web and in the process helps prevent potential ID theft doxing, and phishing scams. I just started using Delete Me and I got my regular personalized privacy report. (laughs) I was shocked what they found and removed. It was pages of information about me that I did not want online. Here's how it works. You sign up and provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts take it from there. I cannot tell you how relieved I felt to have Delete Me. And you know, it's also a great service for your parents or grandparents to help protect them from identity theft. Delete Me is not just a one-time service. Delete Me is always working for you, constantly monitoring and removing the personal information you do not want on the internet. Take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me, now at a special price for my listeners. Today, get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash etm and use promo code etm at checkout. The only way you get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash etm and enter code etm at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash etm. Go to joindeleteme.com slash etm and use code etm for 20% off. Hey, I'm Shauna Compton Game. This is Millennial Money. And today we're talking Score, the documentary with millennial filmmaker Nate Gold.
Millennial Money with Shauna Compton Games. It will expand your brain. Everyone knows that putting money aside in savings is really important. But then what? Should you keep your savings locked in a CD for a higher rate or keep them liquid in a money market? Can your checking account help you save too? Or is it about creating the right combination? We believe real banking is a conversation. Let's talk about the savings options that are right for you. Learn more at sandyspringbank.com. Member FDIC. Okay, so this week we're talking about movies. And more specifically, we're actually talking about this new documentary uh, that's out that we saw and we absolutely love, Score, a film music documentary. It's really awesome about the making, uh, how composers actually come up with the score to films and films, you know, the most iconic films of all time, they, they become the soundtrack of our lives. And we love movies, don't we? Yeah, we absolutely love movies. We see them all the time. So this movie is right up our alley. Yeah. So, okay. Do you think I could actually test you on your, on your film score knowledge here? Uh, I don't know. I'll, I'll give it a try. Yeah. All right. So, uh, all right. Here, here's the first one. So I'll, I'll, I'll play a, a few here and see if you could actually guess them, though. So the tip of your tongue, isn't it? I have no idea what this is. <laughs> well, th- this was a little bit. We actually didn't see this film, uh, but this is. But we actually did see the guy who actually created this, uh, Junkie XL, and this is from Mad Max Fury Road that was out a couple years ago. Oh yeah, that was a huge movie. I think yeah. a lot of people went out and saw that movie. Yeah. So yeah. So we, we didn't we didn't actually actually see see that film, um, but uh, you know that that's a really a great one too, and and that was a really cool movie too. Yeah, so I'm I'm O for one here. So I've got a. Do you have more that you can quiz me on? Yeah, actually, I, I I do have more. So this one I think you will know, and hopefully everybody listening will actually you know know this one. I'm getting chills just listening to this. You think you got this one? Yeah, it's obviously Rocky. Rocky, exactly. From the original Rocky, that's Bill Conti, the composer for this one. And, I mean, this is a song I run to all the time and gets me pumped up, gives me chills. Um, you, you, you the same thing, too, right? Yeah, I, I think I'm going to need to actually make this my new song for my morning wake up. Because it's just it gets you, like, you want to just jump up and start i don't know moving or yeah. something i mean don't these you know these songs they they, they take you back or they, they they get you pumped up or whatever whatever they do you know if you if you we don't have this on on this one but you know if you hear you hear et you're just like oh my god it's i remember the first time i saw et or whatever you know but uh this one um this one is from a independent movie this kind of an independent movie when it came out in the 70s um so i'm not sure if you're gonna know this one or not You have no idea, do you? It's Star Wars, <laughs> of course. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I mean, the reason we all mainly know this movie 
you know, is because there's 25 other Star Wars that have come out or are about to come out, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I don't know who doesn't know the Star Wars theme. I think, again, you probably have to be from, like, outer space, maybe. Yeah, well, you, so that's just, like, a little hint of the composers that are in this movie score, the documentary about, you know, film composing. So, uh, you know, this is just the, the tip of the iceberg, and there's so many other that we're going to talk about in this episode. Yeah, so we had a chance to sit down with our friend and millennial filmmaker, cinematographer, Nate Gold, who talked all about the making of Score, the documentary, from kind of beginning to to end now. They, you know, have it released. They're talking Oscar, potentially. And then Nate also shared, you know, how his passion around being a filmmaker, being a cinematographer really grew from, from a child and how he just has gone after his dreams. Yeah. It was basically like, you know, watching, he was, he was raised, you know, overseas in Europe and seeing German and Austrian, uh, music videos. And that spurred some creativity in him. And then he went to USC film school and such and such. And, and now he's a big star and everything. Yeah. So we were super excited to have him on this conversation to talk all about, score a film music documentary and his own journey as well and just going for it yeah so if you haven't seen this film we saw us we absolutely love this film it's on amazon itunes and we'll have the link to everything so check out score a film music documentary with our conversation with uh director of photography and one of the producers of the film nate gold Well, Nate, thanks for coming on the show and uh, talking about your film, uh, Score. So tell us a little bit about Score, uh, the documentary um, that you guys have out right now. Um, what's it about and, and how did you kind of get uh, you know started on this film? Yeah. Uh, so I mean, first of all, thank you guys for having me on. Um, but so Score is a documentary about the filmmaking process that happens after the production side of things and it's in the, the musical um, aspects of filmmaking. And so the film score film music documentary really tries to highlight the genius of um, the unsung heroes that the composers are in filmmaking. Mm. Uh, so we try and track the process from the beginning of when, you know, <clears throat> a composer initially talks to either the director or they get a script or something like that all the way through through uh, creating uh, ideas to spotting sessions with the director to orchestration sessions, mastering, all the way up to what it takes to get a, a big Hollywood film score uh, to the big, big screen. Yeah, um, you know, and I think, I think it's such an awesome idea for a film, too, because, it, it, you know, film scores or, you know, or soundtracks and all that kind of stuff like that, it's really, you know how it, it, it takes us back to all those films and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, it, it's such a nostalgic yeah. thing, the film music of, of, you know, all of the films that you can, you can think of of your childhood or, um, you know, a time that you were really invested 
it's it's generally the music of the film that you really remember long after the experience. Um, and I think a lot of people don't really realize how much they actually do truly love film music. Mm. Um, you know, you have people humming the themes weeks after uh, their experience of watching the film. Um, and it's, it's kind of an amazing thing, you know, and it's, it's like, you know, people always talk about how good film score is kind of, you know, underneath the visuals and everything. And that's not always the case, you know, good film scores sometimes is like what makes or break, you know, it can really make a, a film make it iconic almost, you know, we've seen big composers like John Williams, um, create scores that have lasted a decade, you know, where uh, now you have kids who, you know, were not even alive when the original Star Wars first mm. came out right. can easily sing the themes of those films. Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, film music is, 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 is such a force and it was kind of crazy to us when we first started doing the project that no one had really done it before. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, it, it's, it's it, like you were saying too, it's like, it really kind of tracks our childhood, whether it's, you know, back to the future or jaws or Rocky or even, you know, you know, pirates of the Caribbean these days or something like that. Absolutely. Well, well how, how did the concept of the film get developed? Um, uh, you know, when they were kind of, you know, developing it, like, like, you know, what, what direction they kind of wanted to go in and, and why they want to tell that story. Yeah. Well, um, initially the director, Matt Schrader kind of had the idea, um, and, and had been playing around with it and sort of doing his research into seeing whether or not anybody had, had, uh, attempted to do this. And it really seemed like the only place that any sort of information or visual content on the composing process was, the two minutes behind the scenes on a DVD uh, bonus features. And so he got together with one of his old friends, uh, Kenny Holmes, who is also one of the producers and one of the DPs and also uh, edited uh, the project alongside with Matt. They kind of got together and started uh, plotting how to get this going. Um, and initially just, I, I don't think that it was really like uh, a fully fledged plan, but it was just that an idea to sort of get this, um, this process and shine a light on a, uh, you know, these guys who are sitting in these rooms who don't really get much publicity anyway. Right. So, you know, a lot of them are just sitting in a dark room playing instruments with a few other people in there. Um, and so they started going out and trying seeing how many interviews they could, uh, get. Um, and they started getting a few. And then once they realized that there was kind of a, a potential for a project there, they started putting a team together. Um, and at that point, because they're, uh, Matt comes from the journalism world and so does Kenny. They both worked for NBC or they worked for NBC for a while. So they're really good at going out and getting the story right? Um, and, and being able to put, you know, really good edited sequences together about stuff. But I think they needed some help on the filmmaking process. And, I, and that's why uh, they ended up reaching out to me. Um, 
And then once I got the email from them, and it was kind of a no-brainer because I'm a musician before <laughs> I'm a filmmaker. So, uh, and I don't necessarily consider myself a documentary filmmaker, but when you know an opportunity where two of your biggest passions kind of collide, um, how could you not? And do you, it? Yeah, I mean, it, it was it was sort of a no-brainer. Um, and then at that point, we just started going out whenever we had the free time to interview as many different composers, directors, agents, uh, orchestrators, musicians, anyone who had kind of was willing to be a, bar- a part of the process. Um, and there were quite a few people in the beginning that were uh, pretty interested and and excited behind, you know, by the the prospect of of something being about their craft. Um, but it was also really interesting too, because in the beginning, a lot of people sort of thought it was a you know a film school project mm-hmm. and didn't didn't necessarily think that we were serious about what we were doing. Um, so it was kind of you know we we. We didn't necessarily hit a wall, but we sort of realized that we were going to need some some heavy hitters to really help us gain some momentum. And that's when we we actually ended up getting an interview with Hans Zimmer. Mm. And that really helped us a lot because not only is he just the biggest sweetheart and, you know, has the most childlike wonder that I feel like (laughs) I've ever seen in anybody. Um, He's just so amazing. Um, yeah, it, it, it felt like he was more excited about the project than we were. The weather is getting warmer. I'm so excited. And it is time to say goodbye to all those jackets and sweaters and hello to the shorts and t-shirts. I wanted to update my summer workout wardrobe for the long haul without, you know, spending a fortune. Luckily, I found Quince and I am in love. Quince is your go-to place from everything from premium European linen dresses, blouses and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless, 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. The best part of all, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes those savings on to you. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I love that. Okay, I bought the dreamiest pair of workout leggings and a bright pink workout top to match. Honestly, ladies, I gotta tell you, these leggings you need. The price cannot be beat, and I feel like a million bucks wearing this cozy workout-friendly outfit. I've worn it for like five days straight. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash etm for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's q-u-i-n-c-e dot com slash etm to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash etm. Okay, friend, I want to know, what are your money goals this year? Are you saving to buy a house or maybe a wedding? or a dream vacation to somewhere tropical. If that's you, please, please take me with you. Or maybe you want to just grow your emergency fund because, let's be real, life is expensive. I want to make sure you reach your goals, so you need Monarch. That's why the Wall Street Journal named it the best app for growing your savings. Monarch is the top-rated, all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You can create custom budgets, track progress toward your financial goals, 
and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash ETM. Here's what I love. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. You can change the layout of your dashboard. You can go between light and dark mode. You can create custom budgets and notifications. You can set up all of these automatic rules for your transactions and notifications and so much more. Monarch is obsessed with constantly improving their product. Get this. They release updates every two weeks, and they even allow customers to submit suggestions, vote on requested features, and view the product roadmap. This, my friend, is totally original. Plus, they will never sell your data to third party or show you ads. I think that's really important. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it is the top-rated personal finance app. And now, listeners of this show get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash ETM. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash ETM for your extended 30-day free trial. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I was paying for vacations all wrong. (laughs) I was missing out on miles. I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? I don't know, maybe that fancy hotel upgrade that you have always been dreaming about. Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Right. Um, well, and he's also kind of become a rock star in his own, you know, kind of doing a tour and stuff like that. But tell us a little bit about his his credits. You know, people don't know, you know, Hans Zimmer. Yeah, I mean, he's done he's done so many different films, like you know, big blockbusters like Dark Knight, Inception. Um, you know, he did the the scene for Pirates of the Caribbean, which interestingly enough, actually wasn't the original scene for that film. He was the second composer brought on. Hmm. Um, so what's crazy about that is, yeah, so many people think of this iconic score for Pirates, but the original was written and thrown out. Um, but yeah, I mean, Hans has also done uh, Lion King. He's done like Driving Miss Daisy. You know? right. So his credits span through all sorts of films. And he's um, not only is he capable of doing lots of different styles of music, but he's also such an... Uh, a collaborator with other musicians and other composers. And he's kind of created a community at his production company, uh, Remote Control, where he just brings in young composers and they, you know, come up through the ranks. And quite a few of his protégés are now Oscar Award-nominated or winning composers. Um so it's kind of it's it was also really amazing to see, especially through him, what a supportive community the you know film composers have amongst themselves. It's always uh, it's very much like how can we help each other versus how we look at each other as competition. Right, right. Which is, it was it was really inspiring to see, especially at such a high level of of filmmaking. 
And, you know, there are only so many films that are made a year that need this kind of composing. And so it was great to see that um, they're all just so supportive of each other. Right. Well, you also too that you know on the, the the list of of composers in the film, there's, there's so many too that you guys have. Like you know, like like Danny Elfman, who who used to be a rock star in his own band Oingo Boingo, but now you know he's a genius behind Beetlejuice and Nightmare Before Christmas and you know the new Alice in Wonderland. How was it ta- you talking to him? You know, it was it's, it's crazy talking to these guys who <laughs> have had such uh, an amazing career beforehand. You know, like completely before this this film composing career that most people nowadays know them as. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it's like, yeah, you're saying so we've got like Danny Elfman, we've got Han Zimmer who used to was in uh, a band before. You know, Trent Reznor's got his whole Nine Inch Nails, right. and I mean, he's been putting out platinum records for decades, right? Uh, so these guys, you know, Tom Holkenborg, he's, you know, Junkie XL, Electronic mm-hmm. Music, Moby, all of these people, you know, they're giants in, in what they've done. And so in talking to them afterwards, there's just still so humble, mm-hmm. um, you know, and it's interesting because uh, I think at the end of the day, like being able to compose music and have huge orchestras play your music and and it's like a whole new playground for them you know it's it's, right and someone like trent too like he's he was even saying too he's like you know i'm still figuring this out i'm still not you know i don't have you know he has his own sort of style but he's still kind of like all right you know each each film is different for him too and and that was also such an amazing thing too is that all of these guys are are at the top of their game mm-hmm. but you see how vulnerable and insecure they are even in their own creative process um which is so humbling because you know they're supposed to know what they're doing <laughs> right and they do they and they do it's just it it makes you feel like okay they're just like the rest of us they go through that self doubt in that creative process of do I actually know what I'm doing? You know, and to sit there and hear Hans Zimmer talk about, like, well, he doesn't know where his, his creativity comes from. And, you know, someday it might, the tap just might switch off. And what does he do then? You know, um, Trent Reznor, like, he's got this amazing uh, duo with Atticus Ross. Mm-hmm. They've been working together for years. You know, and and I think their stuff works so well because, uh, you know, they realize their strengths and their weaknesses. And, like, Trent's amazing at creating these, you know, emotive but, like, dark and weird kind of soundscapes. And then on top of that, you've got Atticus throwing in a little bit more of the, like, classical, like, slightly more traditional Mm -hmm. style stuff. And then you've got that crazy score for uh, social network mm-hmm. where it's so unnerving but beautiful <laughs> at the same right. time. You don't really know how to feel. Right. Um, and so, and that's, and, and that's also what I think too nowadays is, is so amazing with the way that film scoring is going is that contemporary film score can be anything. You know, and, and you've got people coming from less of a traditional background 
coming into this field, bringing these new, fresh ideas and giving filmmakers, giving directors a whole new way of kind of telling stories because now the soundscapes and the, the you know, uh, the, whatever is, is underlaying underneath the visuals is just, there's so many different possibilities now. Right. Um, and what's so amazing is because you can have somebody like Trent Reznor come and do a score, and then you can have a traditional, uh, you know, Ennio Morricone or mm. um, Alexander Desplat or something come in. And they're still so beautiful. It's just, it's all about what the film needs because, you know, nowadays we're telling stories that need kind of interesting new music, you know? So you talked about how you were able to combine your two loves, music and filmmaking, when you were making score. But tell us a little bit about your own journey to becoming a filmmaker and and what that process was like for you. Okay, yeah. Um, Well, in terms of, uh, I mean, my own music, I guess, career, I started (laughs) so young, which I was unbelievably fortunate um, to have parents that were really supportive and start me on instruments really early. I started playing violin at age four, um, then went to piano, then guitar, and then saxophone, and then after that just did a bunch of producing on my own and writing my own music. Um, And so I always, like, music was definitely a huge passion of mine, but I was very realistic about the fact that I I didn't necessarily think there was going to be an easy way to monetize that as a career. Um, So... I mean, I guess rewinding before I would even, like, think about a career as uh, anything. Um, when I got into film, I think I, if I could trace it back to, a, uh, like, a moment where I realized that this was something that I sort of could see myself doing for the rest of my life, um, I guess when I was in, it's funny, when I was living overseas at the time in Prague, and um, in elementary school, the only two English channels on TV I had to watch were either Cartoon Network or uh, CNN. Um, and one day I came home from school and Cartoon Network was just static. Like they had just cut me off cold turkey. <laughs> that's, um, that's the worst, man. And so, yeah, right? And I was like, well, what am I going to do without my cartoon? <laughs> So uh, at that point, it was either CNN or uh, they had, I had a bunch of like German and Austrian music channels, like Mm. German MTV and Mm. uh, kind of like the Austrian version of VH1. Right. And so I just started watching music videos constantly and I like instantly gravitated to the visual side and component of you know, how much production value was put into these videos and how cool and like the concepts that they were creating and the experimental aspect of being able to do something really cool and visual, you know, a three to five minute thing. Um, And then I ended up uh, at the time later on, I started working in um, at the computer lab at my school just to make a little money um, after school on the side. And I saved up a little bit to get my first camera. 
And this was back when it was like, you know, these little mini DV camcorders. Right. Um, and at first I just, I got it to kind of like, you know, I liked filming weird stuff and, and bringing it around with my friends and we would, we would just kind of play around with it and shoot skate videos and, you know, what it was, it was during the jackass era. We never got that insane, but right. like, you know, it was at that time. It was like a hobby, um, possibly a hobby, but you kind of turned it into a career, right? Yeah. And so then I think maybe the, the you know, I, then I started bringing it to my grandma's house when I'd come visit back the, you know, the States and I'd plug it into the TV and I would record music videos to onto the tapes of my camcorder so that I could go back and rewatch them. And I had so many different tapes of all sorts of music videos from back then. And I think that was really the moment that I probably um, realized subconsciously that I definitely wanted to go at least in some kind of visual medium. Mm-hmm. Um, and after that, I mean, I just, you know, I took all the kinds of art classes I could. I took a video production class in ninth grade and, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the passion just sort of took off and I was at the, you know, the film kid of my, my friend group. And, um, and then you, you ended up going to, to USC as well then to right for film school. Yeah. And so I, I, I applied to a bunch of different universities. It was kind of like either film school or architecture were my two options. I think my parents were kind of leaning towards architecture because my mom was in the industry, uh, a while back. And so she already knew how difficult it was. And, um, I think, you know, my brother went into music, so they were kind of hoping that I'd go into something that was uh, a little more stable than filmmaking. Um, but, uh, so I ended up applying to a bunch of different schools, but once I found out that I got into USC, which at the time was like my number one school, I just didn't really care about anything else. Um, well, how, how did, how did yeah. how, sorry, but I mean, how, how did, how did like going to USC actually shape you then as a filmmaker? I mean, cause there's, you know, either go to U, UCLA, uh, you know, NYU or, or, or USC really. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because each school definitely kind of puts out its own different filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I thought at the time when I was going to USC, you know, I was thinking that like, okay, cool. I'm going to this, you know, one of the, like the greatest film schools at, in the country, if not the world, um, there's going to be all sorts of crazy resources for me to specialize in what I wanted to. And, um, it, it was a great school and it offered a lot of, you know, amazing opportunities, but it ended up being a little bit different than what I sort of, expected um it definitely usc is very much a hollywood school um it will it tries to turn you in or not turn you but it shapes you into uh, a filmmaker that more so works in the hollywood system of of like i want to say the agent business side Mm -hmm. or or like the director writer side Mm -hmm. But if you're trying to specialize in anything, it's a little bit harder, you know, for me to try and actually take a cinematography class that was just specialized in that. Um, I ended up having to take some grad level classes um, to take any kind of experimental film outside of, you know, narrative filmmaking. I, I took some 
classes in the art school, in the photography school. Um, so while I could do those things, I had to kind of go to the other schools within USC to kind of do that um, versus a lot of the smaller schools that weren't necessarily universities like USC would allow you to kind of specialize a little bit more, really dig deep into what you're trying to do. Um, but that being said, I think there are a lot of really good benefits of USC trying to create a, a big, I guess what they're, they're really trying to do is, is to turn you into a storyteller. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't really matter what kind of filmmaking you want to go into, whether it's directing, cinematography, scoring, editing, you have to be a filmmaker at the core of it, you know, because content, the, the saying content is king is, is so important. You know, you can have, like I've learned, you know, I could have beautiful, I could love the cinematography that I did for a shoot and then either the performance or the directing or the editing, for sure, if the editing isn't good, the whole thing falls flat, you know. So it's, it's you all, like each department really has to think as, a, you know, a storytelling filmmaker first and foremost. But the greatest thing that I think USC is, like any potential filmmaker who's looking at USC, and this is, I always, if there's any complaint that I have with USC, I always kind of follow up with this, is that 99% of the people that I work with now, years after graduating, are either colleagues that I met there, uh, referrals from colleagues, um, you know, people who, it's, it's, it is, it's such an amazing community of people helping each other out, get, getting work and um, seeing each other on set. Uh, it is really like a big extended family. So the networking aspect of USC is like top notch. It's, it's really unbelievable how um, at the end of it, it's just, it's, it is such a community. Um, yeah. And you, and you and talked I, about I, and that, that, that actually is a testament to how I got involved in scores because I actually, I knew of Matt, the director, but we never really hung out. And I had shot a commercial that his girlfriend at the time, Crystal was production designing. And then fast forward several years later, she was the one who told him about me and then they ended up emailing. So, um, it's a small, it's a really, it's a small world and it's, it's kind of, it's really great. I mean, I, you know, I guess I owe you a seed for the film. <laughs> I mean, yeah, definitely one of the benefits of, of going there. Yeah. So you talked about some of these other kind of common roles, um, that we know, you know, actor, director, editor, but for the listeners who don't know what a cinematographer, director of photography does on a film set, can you explain yeah. a little bit what your, what your genius power is? Yeah, for sure. Well, okay, so the easiest way to think about it is the director of photography or cinematographer is kind of like the eye of the film. Um, Anything visual, whether it has to do with camera, lighting, blocking of the actors, um, you know, a lot of the time, the color palette, uh, where you put things in the frame, all of that, really anything you know, that you can kind of think of when you look at the image, 
chances are it's been run through the director of photography to see how it looks. And so, um, generally in a, in a good, uh, good relationship on a film, a director and a director of photography are essentially, uh, like the dynamic duo. And you have the director who's really paying attention to performance, kind of steering the overall whole ship of knowing the story and, you know, all of the like motivations behind the scenes and all of that to make sure that, you know, the content is all there. And then you have the director of photography who is paying attention to making sure that the story is represented throughout the film in a visual way that also actually tells its own story alongside the narrative that hopefully work together in a way that, uh, you know, would make you feel way more in the story, you know, Mm -hmm. as the visuals progress, you know, for example, is if a character is kind of descending into madness, you know, throughout the film, you slowly have, uh, you know, an example of, you know, maybe the camera gets a little bit more uneven and it's slightly on a Dutch angle. So it's a little bit off kilter and it's, it's not something necessarily the audience would be able to put their finger on, but it's more of a subconscious thing. Um, so, yeah, I mean, a director of photography really is just paying attention to everything on the screen to make sure that it's either, you know, it's properly placed, it looks good, it's the right color, it's, um, you know, it's, I mean, the director of photography is really trying to tell the story of, like, show you where to look, what to look at. Um, You know, if there's a visual cue, they'll either focus on something or put a, you know, a a lighting cue to make your eye move to a certain part of the frame to tell the the story or um, create a certain blocking with the director and the actors that tells an amazing story of three different characters in a conversation, but only through one shot one long shot that moves slowly through the characters or something, you know, it's a way of creating a new unique way of telling the story through how the camera moves and the lighting and all of that. Um, because a lot of the time you can really use the cinematography as uh, a character in mm-hmm. the film. You're, you're making, you know, you're, you play. yeah, you're making it either pretty or ugly or scary or anything like that. Yeah. I mean, all of those, those decisions, like if you, you know, you want it to be scary, you kind of like start to take out light and you really just, you have pockets of light where air actors can come in and out and that creates suspense because then the audience, they don't know what's going on. Um, you know, if you want it to feel sickly or ugly, you can start to throw in weird colors and greenish right. hues, things like that, that throw off skin tone and that you know, makes people feel like, oh, well, they're sickly, they're green, you know, so there's all sorts of really fun, creative choices that you can make as a DP to to help tell the story scene by scene, shot by shot, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 it's really, you know, basically being the artists on the film, you know, or one of the artists on the film too, that, that, you know, just really, makes the film or, or breaks the film as well too. So, so with, with, with score, the documentary, uh, you think you guys got a shot at Oscar this year? 
You know, uh, it's kind of a crazy thing. I, I never really, you know, rewind a couple of years ago, I would never have thought it. It was just a small little passion project that we were excited about. Mm. And I mean, now we're on the long list for the documentary sub- submissions for the Oscars. So I guess we're now in December. <laughs> well, uh-huh. yeah, I mean, you guys got, have gotten really good, you know, uh, ratings about, you know, 92% favorable on Rotten Tomatoes and some other other good reviews as well, too, so... You know, yeah, it's been it's been kind of wild. Uh, the past couple of months, the response of the film has been really great, and it's really just you know it's made the whole thing so worthwhile. When we put it out on iTunes and Amazon a couple months ago, uh, there was about a month and a half run where it was the number one documentary mm-hmm. in North America. Um, so yeah, I mean we're just so stoked, and we're excited by the fact that not only in North America and in the United States. Um, this film is just getting a really great response and it's, you know, we have people internationally we're opening in, in, in Germany soon. Um, so, you know, there's, there's a lot of great things on the horizon and, and it's, it's amazing to see it. You know, I was just at a party the other night for Halloween and I had like four different people tell me that they were on a Delta flight recently and they mm. saw four <laughs> on the list. Right. You know, so it's kind of a it's it's a trip to be honest. It's, <laughs> it's really it's kind of amazing. Yeah, well, it is one of those films I wanted to see anyway, and then, then we happened to you know personally meet you and we're working together and stuff like that, and then we went and saw the film. I'm like, oh my, this was even better than I thought it was going to be. So you know, oh, well, thank you. Yeah, no, it really was. I mean, I I, I love the idea anyway, but it was it was awesome just to you know I kind of wanted actually to be a little bit longer. I'm like, oh, I want to hear hear more about you know you know these film and that film. But where can actually people if they have not seen it, where can they actually go to you know besides Amazon and iTunes and stuff like that? You guys have a website, right? Yeah, so our website is www.score-movie.com. Um, and on there, you can, you know, you can even order a collector's edition of Score if you'd like, um, which is that, that's the only place right now that you can get that version of it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, also, if you want, if you've seen it and you want an even, you know, more behind-the-scenes look, we also have a DVD that's, um, full interviews of some of the big players in the film where it's, I think, around 45 minutes to an hour of raw interview um, for all of the, the cinephiles or the scorephiles. <laughs> so I'm sure you're now eagerly awaiting watching Score. If you've not seen this documentary yet, you can head on over to the link in the show notes to check out Score and to find all the places where you can download and watch the documentary right now. As always, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Shauna Game. You can check out Jeff on Instagram at The Traveling Game. And if you love this podcast, do me a favor, share it with your friends, share it on social media, and head on over to the link in the show notes to leave us a review. 